and welcome to Knowing Nature, the podcast about exploring and engaging with the natural world. I'm Victor. And I'm Annabeth. And this week we're talking about movies because yeah. it's Oscar season. Yes, the Oscars are nearly upon us. The biggest movie celebra- well, celebration of film anywhere in the world, so it's pretty exciting. But yeah, we're going to be chatting, obviously, this is all about nature, our podcast. So yeah, how nature is sort of displayed and interacted and engaged with through film, the media of film. Yeah, we're going to frame our discussion today again using a few papers. Mm-hmm. And it's highlighted in, in quite a few of them in, in a lot of research that our direct experience with nature and the outdoors is really declining. So what we know about nature is increasingly coming from media sources, you know, mm-hmm. from the internet, yeah. from movies, from TV, yeah, documentaries. It's, yeah, it's no shock that people are spending, or children as well, are spending less and less time in the outdoors. So they're only real interaction with anything of the natural world is maybe through the media of film or TV or video games or things like that. So it's probably good that we are having a bit of a discussion on what exactly are they getting from it when they watch TV. And there's quite a lot of research from advertising. Uh-huh. For instance, I I just picked out one paper from um, Kim and Richardson in 2003, and they were looking at how motion picture impacts on destination images. So mm-hmm. they cited the example of Braveheart, which featured locations in and around Sterling. And after the release of Braveheart, they saw a really big increase in tourism to the Sterling region. So movies can have a really significant impact on how people view places and locations, their attitudes towards them. I can definitely agree with that as well. Coming from Northern Ireland, that's a place where Game of Thrones was hugely filmed. There were so many of its shots were actually filmed in Northern Ireland. And following on from the years that Game of Thrones was filmed there, our tourism definitely skyrocketed. And And there's B&Bs that have been built for it. There's um, special pubs, special tours. And we've definitely seen an increase just from this one TV series of an example. A huge TV series, albeit, but just one. And Lord of the Rings for New Zealand, Mm. That's done amazing things for the New Zealand tourism Mm -hmm, industry. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, movies can be an important Mm -hmm. way of getting people out to see things. And so depictions of nature and natural environments, you can Mm -hmm. see how that might change people's attitudes. And their perspectives as well. Yeah. Yeah. Towards nature. Now, when we're talking about nature and movies, inevitably Disney Disney. is the big player in this Mm -hmm. field because they've just made, you know, they've got such a long history and nature Mm -hmm. and animals and wildlife is such an important part of the films. Yeah. Um, But in a study that I looked at by Prevot Jouillard and Jouillard and Clayton in from 2015 called historical evidence for nature disconnection in a 70 year time series of Disney animated film. Mm -hmm. What they did is they took this 70 year history of Disney animated film and they looked at, Um, how nature is depicted, the complexity of the natural environments that are depicted, and how often. And they saw that there is a distinct decline in the amount and complexity of nature, of of nature. Oh, so like, even though as time has gone on, and arguably like the animations improved and things like that, nature is depicted less? Is that what you're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you think of a lot of the earlier Disney films... Bambi, Snow White, Mm. Little Mermaid, natural environments are, are... a big part of them mm-hmm. and they are these sort of beautiful hand-drawn really complex environments you see lots of different kinds mm-hmm. of animals in them yeah and they're really really gorgeous as well like mm-hmm. like you mentioned that they're hand-drawn like the people the animators would have spent hours of days and days and days drawing each frame for, for this so obviously probably a lot of time went into it but yeah. nowadays it's a little bit different the process yeah. yeah and in more recent films if you think of you know now they're largely computer animated but in films like brave and up 
Mm -hmm. A lot of these films still have natural environments as a significant setting, but they're definitely, they're they're more of a backdrop and less of a focus. And the wildlife, in particular wildlife, there's much less of it depicted. Mm -hmm. There's much less diversity. Yeah. And I guess if there's, I think in the previous Disney films, when you think of, um, for instance, like Bambi, as you mentioned, and Snow White, the nature that's depicted, even though they're not central characters to the storyline, there's still a lot of detail taken into how they look and how they interact with their yeah. environment. But like, for instance, in Up, you don't see any animals in it. You just see, and the background is all very, almost like it's all being painted the same color, just varying yeah. shades of green. You if can tell it's yeah. a rainforest. You can tell it's like jungly. Yeah. But if, as we know from Rainforest, there's a lot of life there. And not seeing it in this yeah. is kind of, yeah, a bit alienating, Yeah, and I guess. then up, the, the animals are basically, what, there's like the dogs, there's mm-hmm. the big bird. If an animal's in it, it's there for a reason and has a key part in exactly, the storyline. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Whereas in Snow White and Bambi, mm-hmm. there's all the woodland creatures come out. Mm-hmm. And even if, if you look at the birds, there's uh, loads of different types mm-hmm. of birds, or at least the birds at least come in different colors. Yeah. Right? They might be the same shape, but there's they're going to be different colors. Yeah. Yeah. So it shows you that just more variety. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there's some exceptions to this, like in films like Finding Nemo. Oh, yeah, exactly. The marine environment's beautiful and there's so much yeah, detail. and there's loads of variety. But yeah. the, the overall trend in Disney films has to fewer, fewer animals, fewer types mm. of animals, and then also... Uh, an increasing number of Disney films which just don't feature natural environments really at all. They're just mm-hmm. entirely set in cities or things like that. Mm-hmm. But that's, again, as I guess as humans, more and more central. I think it just shows that there there is this increasing disconnect mm-hmm. between people and nature just because mm-hmm. our lives are becoming more complex, more technological, mm-hmm. more urban. Yeah. So just people live farther away from nature. We live in big cities now. Mm-hmm. So you can see how it would be reflected Mm-hmm. in in film and know? i guess as well on like a professional basis people interact with nature a lot less in their jobs like there used to be a huge like farming and yeah. they would like their, nature was a huge part of their lifestyle but as you said people now live in huge cities and may have no connection with nature whatsoever other than a small rooftop garden in a bar that they might visit and that yeah, sort of yeah, thing yeah. yeah and so there's a lot of stories to be told that mm-hmm. aren't set in these natural environments anymore because mm-hmm. it's just less a part of our lives mm-hmm. which maybe brings in the argument that instead of it going the other direction that depicts of nature is lessening it should be going the other way as we maybe need it and require that connection more yeah i think there's there's something to that Mm -hmm. so i think the first one we wanted to talk about was probably the lion king oh yeah huge Um, film i grew up with one of my still one of my favorites to this day and quite an interesting one because you have the traditional animated mm-hmm. one from 95 i think yeah early 90s and then you had the computer animated one from uh, 2019. 2019 from yeah. last year which is up for a visual effects award oh and in my opinion very well deserved because it is breathtaking it's absolutely stunning to actually watch yeah. if you've not seen the new computer animated <laughs> one, yeah recommended because it's it. <laughs> it stays very close to the original but there are some interesting mm-hmm. differences so which interestingly had some complaints that it stayed so close to the original but i argue if it's not broke don't fix it yeah the original was so good you don't yeah. need to change it yeah. <laughs> um and some of the differences we'll we'll talk about were mm-hmm. i think quite interesting choices that, yeah. that relate very well to the topic that we've got here mm-hmm. so uh, the the one difference there's a, an interesting line that Timon has in the more recent film where mm-hmm. he's talking about everyone just being on their own parallel line, which means that they never meet. So mm-hmm. your actions have no implication to anyone else's yeah. actions. You can live your life without having any repercussions or consequences yeah. caused by that. Yeah. You, you live your life the way you want. Some mm-hmm. other people can live the life that they want. Mm-hmm. And because 
you know, these lines don't meet. It doesn't matter what you do. Mm -hmm. And then right after that, you there's this scene where a little tuft of Simba's fur gets pulled off and just sort of drifts around through the wind. Mm -hmm. It lands on a leaf. A giraffe eats it. And then the giraffe poops it out. Mm -hmm. And then it, this is picked up by a dung beetle, which carries it away. Heroes of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, the dung cracks open, and then the tuft of fur gets carried off to Rafiki. And mm -hmm. this is how Rafiki finds out that Simba yeah. is still alive. So on one side, extremely dramatized. And this this whole kind of story that's gone with this one tuft of hair. But I, I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was a great example and a huge juxtaposition with what Simone's just said that parallel lines that don't meet. But here is one thing that's led to another thing that's affected a bunch of different animals. Yeah, that, that have connected. And yeah. you can see all these connections that mm -hmm. giraffes eat the leaves and then mm -hmm. their droppings become food for dung, dung beetles, beetles and their larvae. Yeah. And dung beetles are fascinating also because oh that's goodness. they also play a big role in just like recycling nutrients so that new plants mm -hmm. can grow. You There's this kind of link back to earlier in the film where Mufasa is talking about this is the circle of life. Mm-hmm. You know, everything we do is connected. And Simba's all like, but we eat the antelope. Why do they matter to us if we just eat them? And yeah, the idea of Mufasa is like, yeah, but then their bodies, when they die, or when our bodies die, we become the grass and the antelope eat the, eat grass. the grass. And see everyone, when they think of the Lion King, they think of the circle of life. And it's a, like a lovely idea to spread, but it's more than an idea. It's a, the whole idea of ecosystems yeah. in itself yeah. as well, which is yeah, incredibly important, especially when you're educating, trying to introduce the concept of food chains and how delicate food webs and balances like that are. Yeah, which I think brings us to our first way in which you can bring these conversations or just into the conversations. Mm -hmm. And if you want to bring them into a classroom setting is using depictions of an environment in a film to mm -hmm. look at the relationships between parts of an ecosystem. So in this case, in The Lion King, there's the plants, there's the herbivores, mm -hmm. the relationship with the carnivores, mm -hmm. and then you can look at what are the implications if, as in The Lion King, you mm -hmm. have this totally unrestricted hunting by the, the carnivores mm -hmm. and they just sort of eat everything, what is the implication for mm -hmm. the habitat? And yeah, as you can see at the towards the end of The Lion King, when Simba returns to his habitat, to Pride Rock, to the environment that he was from, and the balance is all out of whack, the carnivores have gone crazy, they've eaten too much, and the land's all dried up yeah. and it might seem like really 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 extreme but actually that's pretty close to the bone to what can happen to an ecosystem yeah absolutely. when you mess with that really delicate yeah. balance so there's there's kind of two ways of looking at that scene there's sort of the more uh literary view of mm -hmm. it where it's it's a link back to these really old elizabethan mm -hmm. and before ideas of there's this great chain of being where everything has their own place mm -hmm. their own little link in that chain and if one of those pieces steps on, out of its yeah. station then you know the whole universe is thrown out of whack mm -hmm. and then it's in chaos until it, everything reverts back to where it should be and then we have and then we've got everything falling mm -hmm. back into place so that's a, a literary view but when you look at it from an ecosystem point of view there is some something to this desolation that you see in the lion king oh, because definitely. herbivores you know they're they're not mm -hmm. just eating the plants they are recycling those nutrients mm -hmm. they're you know they process that plant matter they chew it up and then poop it out mm -hmm. and then as you see in the film dung beetles then put those nutrients back into the ground so yeah. if you stop having that cycling actually you can have reductions in the amount of plant mm -hmm. growth because it's the nutrients are depleted from the soil and they don't return at the rate that's needed to sustain it 
And it can be seen not just on African ecosystems, but on ecosystems all across the world, like taking out on the other side of it, what happens if you take out a top predator? Like, for instance, in marine habitats, like overhunting of sharks mean that they're prey animals, fish that they would eat um, get too big and too many num- and too numerous. And that means that the things that they eat, like the algae gets, and it's crazy. Like mm-hmm. you can, It's so applicable to so many different ecosystems, yeah. food webs, food chains, and definitely relevant if you are teaching about nature or having a conversation about the natural world, you can pretty much find an example of it anywhere. Absolutely. Another example of this is big, big herbivores like hippos mm-hmm. and um, elephants that they're just moving through an environment because they're so big. Mm-hmm. They kind of clear the way and that allows space for new vegetation to grow. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of hippos, they're moving through thick vegetation in waterways. It clears the path clears a channel for the water to still flow otherwise it would kind of stop and with elephants it's similar you know their activity in the rainforest Mm -hmm. they can create these huge clearings and that's room space for smaller for small plants to grow and take over and then also this seed dispersal Mm -hmm. they poop a lot (laughs) yeah and this is the thing that the loss of the big herbivores in south america (laughs) we're not sure but there's increasing evidence that actually south america the amazon rainforest it's too dense it, it looks the way that it does because big herbivores were spreading seeds around mm-hmm. and actually some some plants might be their distribution is shrinking and potentially because there's fewer big predators to like spread the seeds, oh, big, big spread the seeds around. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah. So the, and then if you've got fewer of these plants, mm-hmm. that's plants, you know, they take water up out of the soil mm-hmm. and then it leaves the plant through their leaves and mm-hmm. that moisture goes up into the atmosphere and forms rain clouds again. Mm-hmm. So if you have less vegetation in an area mm-hmm. sucking up water from the soil, you actually can reduce yeah. the amount of rainfall as well. It just the, like the delicate balance of ecosystems, like all every little, this, yeah, again, it links back to this concept of the circle of life that it, every little thing plays a role, plays a part. You take one of those pieces away and it could all crumble yeah and there it could be unforeseen circumstances mm-hmm, exactly. absolutely so i think lion king is oh, really excellent for that. yeah for that another interesting thing i thought that i really liked about the new cgi lion king was how realistic the animals were oh 100 i think that was the big risk that they took with when they were filming or when they were not so much filming but when they were designing and um creating it was they could either keep with the original line of previous the older disney animated films in which animals were either very anthropomorphized so look at mickey mouse and donald duck they are animals but they are so human like they don't yeah, they're basically donald people. isn't yeah donald isn't swimming in a pond eating bread and mickey mouse isn't chasing after cheese they are people they have a towel when they get out of the shower and things like that yeah um but then you look at the animals for instance like we mentioned in bambi and snow white they're beautiful but they're so cute huge big eyes and not very realistic of the animals that we actually see to then the lion king that was the animated film last year they are they look like lions yeah. yeah 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 like for instance pumbaa and timon in the um original in the 90s pumbaa's this adorable pink and red fat squishy warthog yeah, but not a warthog yeah and then in the new one he's he's a warthog yeah he's, he's hairy hairy a bit scruffy mm-hmm. he's not so cute and cuddly mm-hmm. as in the original one but still somehow it's just it's just lovable. endearing yeah. yeah and i think that that's can be really important i think it's possible that those animated films giving you two rose colored an image of the natural world Mm -hmm. and then when you see the real animal it doesn't meet with the expectation that you have from the animated film 
Yeah, I think. Oh, from the, from yeah, the, yeah, I loved it. And I think I was part of the film I was most excited for was like the opening credit, the opening yeah. scene for when they do the Circle of Life song. And it was frame for frame yeah. with the original. But then seeing it with pretty much the real, the real animals, animals was just, oh my goodness, yeah. every childhood dream was fulfilled yeah, in that the moment. The animation is stunning. Oh, and I think, so I think it is, it, it does, goes to show you like that opening scene, you know, it's not mm-hmm. as bright and colorful as in the 1995 one. Mm-hmm. But it's still just as wonderful. Oh my goodness! Like, and I know for me, as we like we mentioned, with how the natural world can influence you to wanting to visit or travel or tourism. Like, I watch it. I'm like, oh, I need to go to Africa. Like, I need to see these animals. Like, that's the reaction yeah. I had, and I'm sure I am not alone. In yeah. That. I mean, and I think you're thinking. it's you're more likely to then when you see these animals in the wild mm-hmm. to think wow, yes, this is what I came here to see, Mm -hmm. rather than thinking that you're going to go and see, oh, cute, lovable warthog, Mm -hmm. but oh, actually, they're really scruffy in real life. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I actually like them. Yeah, that's more realistic and perhaps offers bigger possibility for connection with the natural world, if they look how they actually look. No, big fan. Lion King, one of the best. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's interesting that we mentioned about how sometimes the animals aren't entirely realistic in Mm -hmm. some of the films because we mentioned Snow White, Disney's first feature length film Mm -hmm. uh, way back in 1936. Um, But nature in it isn't depicted obviously in a realistic way at all. It's, I think it's really interesting what a lot of the papers that I looked at sort of discussed that Snow White has a very large separatism between humans and the natural world. Humans in it are not part of the natural world. There's literal scenes of nature than like the animals being outside staring into the house where Snow White and the evil queen are and they can't do anything about it she's about to be poisoned and they're just staring helplessly and it's yeah. not until Snow White welcomes them into the house and domesticates them in a way teaches them how to clean but then there's a bit of a connection but yeah it's so it's and then as nature has gone on through the Disney films through all the other animated films that have followed on from that you see a bit more the humans being seen as part of it yeah. in a way but still very it's very interesting how that almost it's almost that mindset of humans not being animals humans being above yeah in some way yeah yeah mm-hmm. i think that that's a good way of if you want to incorporate talking about nature with an older audience if you are in uh, maybe high school level and above and you're mm-hmm. talking about these kinds of things like this is a topic that you could easily discuss in an English class oh my goodness instance, so many possibilities right? in a yeah. literature analysis class like let's talk mm-hmm. about how is nature portrayed what's the relationship between mm-hmm. humans and nature is it something like you mentioned in Snow White where mm-hmm. it's this kind of this narrative of domestication of nature that it's sort of wild and outside and yeah. separate from human experience or is it something perhaps a bit closer mm-hmm. yeah because like the paper one of the papers that I looked at was by Lucas Wagner and it's called Constructing Nature through cartoons the cultural worldview of the environment in disney animated film and it goes through a couple of a few disney films for instance snow white and bambi and then the later ones pocahontas and how how nature is seen and how nature is yeah conveyed mm-hmm. through that and yet comes from the christian mindset and the conservation mindset in pocahontas mm-hmm. and the consumerism in that scene in little mermaid that it's just humans have lots and lots of things and lots and lots of belongings and lots of yeah consumeristic and ariel staring up wants to be part of this world even though she lives in a beautiful yeah. environment yeah it's just it's really really it's really interesting how disney has gone down these different different roads but yeah like seeing nature in disney films is prevalent in most of them and if you think about most of the best loved disney films are gonna have nature in some capacity in them from snow white to finding nemo brother bear and even most recently i guess things like wally um this was depicted really well actually in an ebook by david whitley which you can access and read online and it's called the idea of nature in disney animation and it picks quite a few of those best loved disney films and shows how yeah how humans have interacted with them how humans maybe 
are the negative side of it, the antagonist rather than the protagonist, which you kind of find that in natural films with the natural world theme, humans aren't necessarily depicted in the best light. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of those. Yeah, like Wally is, is particularly the oh, one of yeah. those, right? Because the whole world is covered in garbage. Yes, thanks to thanks to people and their big slobs that don't even live on Earth anymore. And you kind of have, interestingly, the protagonist isn't something from the natural world. It's this little robot. Oh, and and um, the other robot, e- Eve, Eve, yeah, her, whose whole purpose is to find the natural world again. Yeah, that's the goal. That's the treasure. The treasure isn't anything man-made. As if you think about what people's most beloved belongings nowadays are, it yeah. will be something yeah. man-made or bought. But in this dystopian future, the treasure is something from the natural world. And actually, the things that Wally treasures the most, if there's a scene in his little house, and it's all recycled goods, and that's that kind of little potential link the theory that a sustainable way of living is an idealistic way of living too yeah, yeah. so yeah, good good ebook if you yeah. want to look at uh, analyzing mm-hmm. um, media and how people relate with nature that's mm-hmm. a good one so another a series of films great g- films. coming back to <laughs> our oscar theme is how to train your dragon because the third installment of that series mm-hmm. is up for best animated mm-hmm. film this year i'd like to reiterate all ages <laughs> yeah and i think they're they're a great series of films not only because the films grow have grown up with the audience but also because the the way in which people interact with dragons in mm-hmm. those films really echoes the ways in which people can interact with the natural world mm-hmm. oh definitely um, and it takes it out in into this fantasy setting but you can definitely take those yeah. themes and apply them to oh, to definitely. our to our everyday and I think, lives i feel like the three films follow a really fascinating story arc as well yeah but i like the way that the relationship with the dragons develops mm-hmm. so in in the first film dragons are these horrible monsters mm. there's lots of conflict with them there's lots of ignorance and not much is understood so therefore they're the enemy and things like that yeah yeah because the dragons mm-hmm. are seen as you know they're going to come and like eat mm-hmm. all our sheep and so they they need to be killed mm-hmm. and that's something kind of familiar theme of mm-hmm. you're afraid of the unknown the people don't mm-hmm. know the dragons that well no. so they're afraid of them but yeah but also has yeah strong connotations with a lot of ha- current habitats in the world with when people live the idea of the human wildlife conflict when people live in close con- like um, contact with animals that yep. maybe don't understand or don't know much about there's a lot of issues like poisoning and poaching and yeah. as like human with, influence um, spreads elephant populations elephant populations as well. lions in africa especially yeah so having that close proximity and how to how can you make that balance to live in harmony with them mm-hmm. and then that's the end of the first film beginning of the second film is where the your sort of main community that you're with hiccups hiccups mm-hmm. village they strike this this balance with mm-hmm. the dragons they've learned to live with them together with them even work together with them but they still have to contend with poaching yeah which is quite interesting so you you know you bring up this theme of poaching you've got these people who want to capture the dragons for their own ends mm-hmm. and yeah. then in the third film you spoiler end up, alert <laughs> yeah, spoiler. You, you end up with again hiccups village rescuing dragons from poachers but they're keeping them in their village and then mm-hmm. they it's just not a situation that's working out anymore. it's not sustainable because yeah, their village it's it's a it's this beautiful amazing yeah this little I- island of burke yeah yeah that's it burke and they're there are dragons everywhere mm-hmm. and on the one hand it's like this really magical idea mm-hmm. like wow dragons you could be living next to dragons mm-hmm. right feeding them 
how yeah, amazing it's like the that perfect scenario and what you would think if you were thinking of conservation yeah. or having or rescuing animals that sort of thing the idea of yes i'm living right in the midst of it but i'm, I'm taking care how of far it. does it go in that direction before it's again being detrimental well so it's a, like and, linking back and not into that sustainable first and not sustainable yeah. yeah so in in the second film you end up in this kind of wonderful happy place and then mm-hmm. in the third beginning of the third film you're seeing oh actually we've been rescuing dragons mm-hmm. for quite some time now and mm-hmm. now our village is like there are dragons dragons everywhere (laughs) and the community is like i'm not sure where we're gonna keep these dragons right it's not gonna last forever yeah yeah and you can look at this idea like we can protect animals from poaching by Mm -hmm. putting them all in zoos Mm -hmm. right and that would probably work and keep them safe but Mm -hmm. it's probably not what's best for the dragons and it's not sustainable like we just can't support that kind of population so what are we what are we going to do how can we actually strike this kind of a balance and in the third film they end on this bitter sweet note again spoiler <laughs> where basically it's a wildlife reserve that mm-hmm. all the dragons go to which means that they have the habitat that they need and the space that they mm-hmm. need but it means that it's their own space and without human interference i guess yeah, yeah which is on the one hand really it's kind of nice for the dragons you can yeah. imagine but it's also really sad for the humans to mm-hmm. know that actually no like dragons aren't going to be in our lives anymore and i think that's a huge problem not a huge problem but an issue i guess you have with engagement that zoos have this, this kind of mixed view on zoos either yeah. on one hand conservation incredible and engaging kids school groups anyone can you go and learn about them. the animal and when you get to see the animal you do care a little bit more about it you yeah. understand it a bit more but then the other side of it the ideal world would be that these animals would live in their own habitat but then how do you get to that if people are it's this yeah. vicious vicious cycle there's something really sad though about thinking that okay the only way in which humans and animals can share the earth together is to have, have them separate. completely separate space <laughs> yeah. there's something really sad about that mm-hmm. and you really you yeah. feel that in the film where there's this it's it's really sad that mm-hmm. this is the way that it needs to, be. to be which is super sad it is sad and i think that's why a lot of modern conservation movements mm-hmm. there's this big move to more a talk about sustainability because mm-hmm. there there is this acknowledgement that we need to share mm-hmm. this planet and hopefully we can find a way mm-hmm. to still be able to interact with the natural world yeah and it's about striking that balance that i think perhaps leads us on to our third films mm-hmm. yeah which are film film even yeah which avatar huge blockbuster from i don't know years ago it's quite old now yeah it's getting quite old, getting quite old but they are releasing the next one and they are filming and this avatar yeah, 2 is is some, coming somewhere in the pipeline which i'm so in, i'm so curious as to how what storyline it's going to take yeah i feel I'm, like I'm avatar sure. ended quite definitely but anyway yeah if you avatar general ideas that humans are going up to this distant planet for its resources yep um but there's an indigenous community there the navi very very beautiful blue foreign looking though extremely different to they're kind humans. of like cat people yeah, they're really tall, and but tall, then they have blue cat people. They have this really beautiful intrinsic relationship with the natural world. This yeah. tree, they like physically plug into it for their benefits. It's good. It's a good thing that they plug into it. It keeps them in track and with what's going on. It's this whole idea of yes, the humans are going out there, and humans in that film are very much the antagonists. They're going in there with their guns and their machinery, their industry to take the resources from the community, and they're bad. People are bad in that film. 
there is a, a simple, a simplistic way of, of seeing it, mm-hmm. and it's, it's seeing it that way. It's, it's an illustration of yeah. people going into a place and mm-hmm. exploiting the natural resources is not a good thing. For a film that's very colorful, it's very black and white. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not good for the, the local mm-hmm. ecosystem, and it's yeah. not good for the local people yeah. to have these people coming in and exploiting. I doubt there's anyone that's going to come out, that's watched that film and come out and be like, no, I'm on the side of the angry Nukamol soldier guy. Yeah. yeah. However, I think there's a more there's an extension mm-hmm. to that discussion mm-hmm. which makes Definitely. it more nuanced and that's mm-hmm. looking at why do people go into places and yeah. for the resources. And asking these questions makes yeah. the whole discussion a little bit more complicated as well. And if we look in uh, examples in the real world, I know that in uh, on Borneo there's mm-hmm. a lot of local communities and they're they're subsistence communities so they mm-hmm. kind of grow and harvest from the land the things Mm -hmm. that they need in order to survive their subsistence Mm -hmm. however when there's an unexpected expense Mm -hmm. so maybe you know there's some kind of natural disaster Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. might be a medical issue where they've got sudden increase in doctor's Mm -hmm. bills suddenly they need extra income that they can't generate in any other way than cutting down tropical hardwood Mm -hmm. which they can then sell on so that's basically illegal logging Similarly, in Borneo, um, when I was there as well, they have a huge, one of the biggest palm oil industries. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, yeah, the indigenous communities and the people that live there, the locals find that they can get a lot of money from helping mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. and, yeah, cutting down parts of this indigenous rainforest for palm oil plantations. And uh, a lot of Borneo's economy and income comes from palm oil. We use palm oil in Western... Um, for everything. Everything. Palm oil is used for everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's the, the balance to it, is the mm-hmm. fact that humans we do need natural resources mm-hmm. in order to live and but it's about how do we strike yeah. that balance so i think with a film like avatar there is an extension discussion about like okay why are these people here what is the consequence exactly. for them if they don't do this mm-hmm. if they don't come in and take those resources what's the consequence for those yeah. people are they going to lose their jobs and then how are they going to survive mm-hmm. how are they going to get food how yeah. are they going to we see the people we instantly dislike the people who the act people who are actively damaging the resources mm-hmm. but yet we don't cast a thought to where is the demand coming from because that's maybe the root of it at the end of the day yeah. as well so maybe i don't know maybe avatar 2 will be all about how to be sustainable on this planet yeah Wouldn't that be knows? interesting because that's the direction really we need to go and if we're hoping to as we've mentioned share the natural world with the rest of the natural world yeah it's all about being acting more sustainably so for instance palm oil is another huge discussion but yeah choosing products that don't have it you're not creating the yep. demand. So then... Or sustainable palm oil, is a thing, which yeah. is grown on um, land that is not chopped down specifically for that. It's mm-hmm. usually an old plantation of some other kind mm-hmm. that's been converted into palm oil. So yeah, maybe exactly. a rubber plantation that's been turned into that mm-hmm. or some other kind of the UK equivalent would be a brownfield site. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not it's not um, virgin rainforest mm-hmm. being cut down for yeah. a new plantation. Be used for something else yeah. instead. Yeah. And so, yeah, so Avatar and the discussions about how people mm. relate to nature and how can we relate to nature in a sustainable way is another type of discussion that can be had in these films. Mm-hmm. And I think it's changing. And I think definitely with the current state of the natural world, with Anthropocene, with climate change, with everything, I think we're really going to see a higher prevalence of humans and the natural world in films. I think it is. We are genuinely now seeing it more and it, I think, displayed more realistically, which might be hard to watch, but might need to be watched. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. I'm definitely on that side. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think 
in terms of using these films and these discussions to engage with the natural world, I think with the younger audiences, a really good way Mm -hmm. of doing it is using films to look at interactions Mm -hmm. between the natural world as we mentioned, talking about food webs and food chains. It's also just such a wonderful way to display that balance and yeah. how important it is and yeah. how we all do play a role and we all play a part. And the little things that we do can have an impact, a greater impact on the whole. I think that's really, really crucial. Yeah. And if you're wanting to open up a, a dialogue about this, about how people engage with nature with older folks, then we've got these discussions from... How to Train Your Dragon and Avatar about Mm. how do we work together with the natural world? How do we do it sustainably Mm -hmm. uh, into the future so that we don't have too much negative impact on it? If you want to find out more about any of the papers and the ebooks that we've mentioned Mm -hmm. um, in this episode, you can check out our website, which is at knowingnaturepodcast.wordpress.com. And we'll also have all of our information from any of our previous episodes. If there's any of those you want to catch up on, we'll have that information up on the website there too. Yep, in the show notes. And as always, if you've got any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Mm. Our email is knowingnaturepodcast at gmail.com. That's it for us. Yes, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you enjoy the Oscars. And yeah, you keep your eye out for natural world and films that you enjoy as well. I'm Victor. I'm Annabeth, and we'll catch you next time.